Welcome to The Health Edge, translating the science of self-care. Mark Pettis, good to be with you. My friend, buddy, John Bagnulo. John, how you doing, bud? I'm doing well, Mark. It's great to see you. Nice to see you. And uh, we've had a few papers that we've been sharing in recent weeks, John, but one that jumped out for both of us that has aligned with some of the, the themes that we've been developing around uh, data looking at metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance, uh, and the, uh, the impact of a, of a lower carbohydrate, higher fat macronutrient mix can have on reversibility and modulation of those cardiometabolic risk factors. And we've, we've also looked at the importance of uh, macrobiotic accessible carbohydrates and diversification of the biome, also as an important driver of metabolic health and metabolic flexibility, this ability to adapt um, at, at many levels. And, uh, and this study, John, was a, a smaller trial from uh, Sweden that was published uh, about two months ago in the Journal of Hepatology, looked at individuals with fatty liver disease, uh, also known as non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, N-A-F-L-D. And they randomized these individuals to either a sort of a standard uh, low-fat diet, I, I think today would still be the primary recommendation for, for many individuals. Uh, they randomized another third of those individuals to a lower carb, high fat. It wasn't uh, intended to be ketogenic, uh, but there were significant reductions in carbohydrate and liberalization of fat. And then they looked in the third group at a what some might consider a fasting mimicking diet, uh, also known as the 5-2, where five days a week you're sort of eating ad libitum, you're just eating what you ordinarily eat, and then on those uh, other two days, you are restricting your caloric intake significantly, and in this study, it was 500 to 600 calories a day for two days out of the week. And each of these three branches the 5-2, the low-carb, high-fat, and the sort of standard diet uh, were 12-week trials. And at the end of 12 weeks, the primary outcome was reduction in the fat content in the liver of these individuals. And uh, as we'll, as we'll uh, demonstrate, and I'll uh, upload this article for anyone who's interested in reviewing it, they saw dramatic reductions in liver fat over 12 weeks in both the low-carb, high-fat, as well as in the 5-2 um, uh, nutritional intervention. The secondary outcomes were along the lines of um, glucose and lipids and blood pressure and weight. And again, not surprisingly, they saw dramatic reductions in all of those secondary incomes in the interventions versus that the standard sort of control group. Um, and this seemed, even though it was a relatively small trial, John, it was randomized and the data really quite compelling and very, not just statistically, but clinically significant over a 12 week time. We often talk about how quickly you can begin to reverse disruptive metabolic issues 
Um, and this is yet another study that in a very short time showed almost 50% reduction in liver fat. Um, and this is a huge issue, uh, John, as we know that current estimates are that as many as 20-25% of Americans may have non-alcohol fatty liver disease just by way of some epidemiology and that people with NAFLD tend to be asymptomatic. Most will not know that they have it. Often it's picked up, and I think most commonly in my experience, John, it's picked up, you do routine blood work and you find very mild elevation of liver enzyme tests, these blood tests, what we call ALT, AST. And when you then ultrasound the liver, you will see a, an echogenic quality that's very consistent with fatty infiltration. And the risk factors for this are sort of the standard cardiometabolic risk factors of increased abdominal fat, so higher waist circumference or a, a higher waist to hip ratio, high blood pressure, um, insulin resistance as determined by prediabetes, diabetes, high triglyceride, low HDL, these very standard metabolic syndrome risk factors are the strongest predictors of fatty liver. And we know that a good percentage of people with fatty liver over time can develop inflammation and cirrhosis. So this is one of the most, it has quickly become the most common liver disease in Western civilization with a, a prevalence, John, that's almost um, two to three times what it was just 25 years ago, coincident with this explosion of obesity and insulin resistance and cardiometabolic disease. And so yet again, we have another manifestation of a disrupted metabolic landscape, very much driven by lifestyle, uh, where interventions uh, on, a, on a, the basis, in this case, of, of nutritional interventions can be powerfully therapeutic. Um, so sorry for that long introduction and context, John, but I, I wanted to give our listeners a sense that this is a huge problem uh, epidemiologically and one that is um, under-recognized. And um, so um, to be aware of it's important and to understand that there are, are many things that can be done to reverse it is also very, very important. Yeah, you know, Mark, the liver is uh, just an phenomenal kind of microcosm of the whole body's I'd say metabolic burden you know what we tend to see in biomarkers that reflect where the liver is at with its metabolism or its efforts to metabolize metabolize certain micro uh, macronutrients and then in terms of what you can see here with uh with an ultrasound type image of you know fatty liver deposits or if it's really kind of gone into the non-alcoholic fatty liver disease category, because, you know, to your point, you know, maybe 25% of American adults have some level of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, but I've seen estimates that over half of American adults have fatty liver deposits. Maybe it's not technically at the disease state yet, but it really reflects, right, how much we now overburden uh, the liver with its overhaul carbohydrate um, burden, you know, because that's, that's really, 
I think what's at the root of all this, Mark, is that the liver gets hit with a challenge meal after meal, day after day, week upon week of just these large, large, you know, dietary carbohydrate loads that it's trying to effectively um, process into something that can be stored and safely transported, but it can't handle you know, the 250, 300 gram loads of carbohydrates, much of which is in the way of sugar and, and to the worst possible burden, fructose, which we know has unique challenges for the liver. And so whether that fructose is coming from fruit juice or it's coming from, you know, some type of corn syrup product, I mean, it's, it's really, it's, it's less it's less relevant because fructose as a carbohydrate carries the highest overall physiological burden because it has to be phosphorylated. The liver then has to take this phosphorus off of an ATP store. And when it does that, the enzyme that's required um, to take that phosphorus molecule off of ATP and add that to a fructose molecule, you know, that generates uric acid. And, you know, that's an, another example of a biomarker that we are now starting to appreciate with a, a whole new level of, um, of, of what it really reflects in human health, not just a person's risk for gout per se, but increased angiogenesis and insulin resistance. We know that, you know, that uric acid just speaks to so many different facets of, of what's going on in a person's liver. So this paper is, you know, one of, I, I think it's one of the, obviously the most recent one, which shows how beneficial it is to break away from that standard of care, typical, you know, dietary intervention where it's high carb, low fat, um, and often micronutrients are sorely missing because, you know, we're going to really focus here on the carbohydrate load that people are challenging their liver with. But the whole other aspect of this, and I know you're aware of this, Mark, is that so many micronutrients are critical for the liver to function uh, optimally, right? Like choline, as an example. You know, so many Americans are deficient in choline. And once you are low in dietary choline, it becomes very, very hard for the liver to mobilize fat and for it to detoxify, you know, a wide variety of substances that need to be made water soluble. So this is, a, you know, I think it's just a great paper. It provides a lot of insight into how, you know, how quickly. That, think about this, Mark, 12 weeks, and you're getting more than a 50% reduction in uh, fatty liver deposits. I think that's remarkable in three months, right? And all we're doing here is either decreasing the carbohydrate content or providing two days of, of, a, of a more fasting type state with, like you said, 500 to 600 calorie reduction. So it's not like it's a 24-hour fast or anything like that. It's, um, it's just a modest reduction in calories for a couple of days. I, you know, for me... Yes, this is a great, like, great look at how the liver is challenged by the typical, you know, kind of modern high carb diet. And then the other thing about this is it just really shows you how resilient that we are uh, and that the liver is and our physiology is once we just restore a little bit of balance, either with a more ancestral diet or with a, a more ancestral kind of way of eating, which is not eating until we're full day after day, but giving us a couple of days where we have limited limited intake. So just an awesome paper. And really consistent with what we know is an explosion of cardiometabolic risk factors and the, the liver quickly will become insulin resistant in the state of fatty liver. And we often talk about insulin as really one of the central players when sustained at a 
very high level for all chronic complex disease. So as the liver becomes more resistant to insulin, you see insulin levels go up even higher. That will continue to promote more fat storage throughout the body, uh, but the liver will just accumulate even more fat, become more inflamed in much the same way that um, uh, you know, you'll continue to see this progression of cardiometabolic risk factors that accompany that hypertension, diabetes, um, dyslipidemia, particularly high triglyceride and, and low HDL. And then we see how prevalence of these cardiometabolic risk factors earlier in life um, also predict Alzheimer's, cognitive decline, degenerative neurologic diseases. So these, these fault lines do tend to declare themselves very early in life. And um, I suspect when you look at the prevalence of fatty liver as described in the studies, that it probably is a conservative estimate, John, because you, know, we don't, you don't routinely ultrasound a person's liver. Uh, and many people don't routinely get liver blood tests. So there are probably, when you have a demographic where 70% of that demographic is overweight or um, obese, another 50% conservatively insulin resistant, you're, we're probably missing more fatty liver than what's currently described. And when you add to that other potential hepatotoxins like alcohol, and yeah. many medications that we know are hepatotoxic and and you know you 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 begin to see this additive layering of nutritional environmental toxic uh metabolic insults that over time will take this flexibility this amazing adaptive reserve and begin to uh turn it off and um you know that um, it, it's, it's striking how quickly uh, these states can be acquired. It's equally striking how quickly they can be reconciled. I'm going to just um, share, let me uh, see if I can, I just want to bring this up, John, for our, um, this basically is just a, a summary graphic. Again, uh, looking at this fatty liver uh, one getting sort of a standard diet, the other the 5-2, and then the last this low-carb, high-fat. And what you can see, obviously, uh, in, in this low-carb, high-fat, dramatic reduction, 70% reduction in carbohydrate intake, 99% increased intake of fat. Uh, these people were not consuming much fat before uh, uh, undergoing this, this intervention. Uh, not a whole lot of change in the five uh, two fasting mimicking uh, arm, and then you know very little change, of course, in the standard diet, which is what you would expect. And then you see these dramatic um, these uh, fat levels in the liver are measured by magnetic resonance spectroscopy. Uh, MR MRI can very sensitively measure uh, fat deposits, and so it's a very that's become sort of the standard of how to quantify uh, liver fat. And again, you can just, these are dramatic reductions uh, in both arms. But, you know, what you tend to see a bit more with the low-carb, high-fat 
is modification of many of these cardiometabolic risk factors, particularly insulin, glucose, triglyceride, um, small dense LDL, small dense yeah. LDL to a, you know a slightly greater degree. But again, the primary outcome was in reduction in in liver fat. So um, that's a just a graphic to uh, give people a sense of, of what what they found. Yeah, Mark. A couple of things I you know I would add is that we tend to think about non-alcoholic fatty liver disease as you know historically and primarily a, a more unique condition and only afflicting adults. But we know now that it's it's actually at a much much incre- increased incidence in a pediatric population. Um, you know, I've talked to pediatricians that are just shocked at how many of their younger children, you know, ages five, six, or seven that are on these very, very high carbohydrate, high sugar containing diets have some level of this NASLD. It's, you know, it's really remarkable, um, especially in your lower SES groups where, right, kids are, because, you know, carbohydrates are the cheapest, cheapest component of the diet, especially the, the worst kinds of carbohydrates. So, you know, that, that's a big part of it. And, and the other thing is, you know, we, you talked about just how easy it is to look at a waist to hip ratio as a risk factor for non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. The other thing that goes in line with that is if someone has a triglyceride level of 200 and an HDL of 40, that's also really a big, a big red flag when you have a, a triglyceride to HDL ratios of three or greater. Um, you start to fall in that same highest risk category for this. Um, so you could almost suspect it if you have a high waist the hip ratio, right? You have a high level of triglycerides to HDLs. Um, and you take a look at your diet and it's all, you know, flour based products and, uh, and, and sugary foods. I mean, I think it, it's almost axiomatic to expect that some of this is present. No question about that. And I would recommend to any of our listeners who may have risk factors, if, you know, if your waist circumference, if you're a a male and your waist circumference is greater than 38 inches, 40 inches tops, if you're a woman with an abdominal circumference of greater than, say, 36 inches tops, um, if you see that your triglycerides are are high, you, you point out that ratio of triglyceride to HDL, if that ratio starts getting up three or higher, you are looking at a very, very strong likelihood of of fatty liver disease and liver function tests, while they might be helpful and you'll see modest elevations in the majority of people, occasionally they will be normal because the liver's reserve uh, is really pretty quite remarkable. So one would need an ultrasound um, to confirm the presence of fatty liver uh, and that might lead to other testing depending on that individual, but this is a silent um, uh, yeah. destroyer of, of, of liver function. And so um, all the more reason to be really aware of your risks, um, how easy it is to diagnose this. And then certainly uh, I think we are suggesting a nutritional roadmap that can, can dramatically bring this to a halt and reverse it. Yeah, Mark. And, you know, the, the qualities of the fats aren't really you know, they're not a component of this paper that we're discussing, but we know that non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and fatty liver deposits are much more effectively mobilized and the, and the liver's overall health is improved 
with more saturated and monounsaturated fat and less polyunsaturated fat, right? So, you know, you've got those two, um, you've got those two components to this, right? You've got the quantitatively, we know what it should look like to be high fat, low carb, but then a lot of people are still confused and they, they rely too much on their, you know, the omega-6 rich oils, right? In, in those heavily processed oils and fats, which are to some extent also a burden on the liver. And once you combine, like your point, you already said it's important to restrict alcohol, as well as the polyunsaturated fats, uh, along with fructose, those are three of the biggest burdens on the liver. And you know, that's where the qualitative aspect is, is important to this discussion. Great points, John, great points. Well, that uh, just a brief overview of this paper was really the intent of our recording today. So we, we hope that um, we've at least... Um, elevated one's awareness of fatty liver as an important manifestation of cardiometabolic risk. And um, I will make sure that this paper is available. It was open source, and I'll make sure it's available if anyone wants to download it and look at it in a little more detail. And as always, John, great to uh, connect and great to share. A lot of, lot of good uh, research continues to uh, emerge out there, and we'll continue to... Um, uh, distill what we can and bring it to those who are interested in these topics. So great. Thanks, Mark. You great as well, to, John. Great to see, Good to see you. Great, you too, man.